not just the hair. It's not. No. But the mullet is evil. Like, I, I do believe that the mullet has something to do with it. <laughs> Anyang SAO, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, romance novelists, and your K-Romance guides. So grab some deck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> so I'm coming tonight with a story that has nothing to do with bowels or meat sticks. <laughs> <laughs> We're trusting you. I'm trusting you. I think I hyped it too much. So what has been happening lately has... You know, we have an ongoing situation on the podcast where Megan's like, I've saved a story to use as banter. And it ends up being like, how would you describe it, Amy? Horrifying? (laughs) (laughs) I know always horrifying, but yeah. No. Whatever. Well, I told my husband and he was like, I was like, they said I need to be vetted now. And he goes, you're on banter probation. And I was like, yes, I am on banter probation. You really are. So I am going to try to take the lead tonight. And look, I honestly, I didn't mention the story because I wanted to tell it to you when it happened, but I was like, I'm going to save it for tonight. And now I feel like I've overhyped it. So apologies in advance, but okay. So in my job, I was sending out an email to my residential community. So basically I work in a residential education and higher ed, and I'm in an area on campus where, you know, I have to like send updates out to like my residents who are here and they're of all ages and da 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 da. And so given that we'd been in recent disasters with, you know, the flooding in California and given that I am like an amateur prepper myself, I was like, okay, I have this opportunity to, um, to give out kind of like emergency preparedness boxes, these kits that I was able to obtain that were like four or five no cook meals and little boxes. And I was like, dude, I'm going to like get these and then I'm going to give them out to my community and everyone's going to be ready to go. So I'm going to have them still fill out this nifty little form and they're going to get their box. So that happens. I like send out this email. It's like, if you want to get one of these emergency boxes with food, just like click on this link. So I send it off. And then like, boop, 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 boop. And like two seconds later, I get like an email that pops up and somebody's like, hey, I tried to open up the link, but I got a form of entertainment. That's all it said. And I was just thinking, you know, I put a link in and I was like, oh, I just went into a fugue state because I was like, I don't know what the fuck. Because I mean, like my searching is bananas on a good day that I and I mean, that day we had dropped the big dragon like snack, which was like, you know, trailers of like, you know, big dragon, which gets down. (laughs) Plus, I mean, like, who knows what cracked out like Yoongi's knees volume nine video I was watching. I was just like, I don't even know what I linked. (laughs) So I just sat there for like a while being like, like, how? I don't know how bad it could get. I'm not quite sure what to do. And then I just started seeing emails like bing, 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 where people were like writing to be like, it's the bad link or whatever. And I was like, I know I'm not going to lose my job because I wasn't like looking at porn. But then I was like, but then I was like, big dragon kind of is like soft porn. So if it was like the trailer for that, okay, I was just like, I don't even know. And then I'm like, I don't even think I'm going to have plausible deniability to say like oh weird like I must have had like a hacking issue because like most people know I like BTS and so it's gonna be I was like I was actually convinced it was gonna be some sort of like you know like sugar foot fetish video or something (laughs) I was like oh no 
So all that anticipation to be like, actually what I shared was a link to an podcast about octopus. <laughs> because thank fuck the last thing I had done was we had on our Patreon, I was like, share podcast links that you're like, I was like, it was a link on Patreon where I was like, everyone just share like some podcasts that you're into because obviously we're a podcast and like, let's talk about other shows that we've been listening to. And so I'd been putting in like the fall of civilization podcasts that I listened to. And then also this one that's on like natural history. And I had listened to a podcast recently on octopus, which was really charming. So luckily that was the link I'd shared was this link to this like radio lab like show on like octopus and then my coworker came and was like i saw what you did and that's so charming because just think like now we just know really that's what you're looking at and i was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like not really honestly i was like sweating like yeah that's just what i was doing you know it's that and my like you know little cute dog videos i watch you know i'm so sweet <laughs> i was like holy shit i could have really outed myself as like a questionable pervert <laughs> That is terrible. That is my worst nightmare. Like, absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Sharing the wrong link. Yeah. 100%. Especially <sighs> especially at work. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at work. Especially if it was, like, the big drag. Because I was just thinking, like, I'd been dropping show notes in for Big Dragon earlier in the day. Right. You know, like, not all during work time, but, like, you know, at, like, lunch or whatever. And so I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I've really just, I'm done for. <laughs> okay. Well, I that is I would have been sweating too. I am so glad that it was just about octop- octopi. <laughs> so this is I have PTSD. I don't even know if I should tell this story, but it just occurred to me when I was younger. Megan, you're probably a little bit too young for this. Maybe you know Amy. You would remember like AOL, like when AOL yeah. became like big thing. I yeah. met Neil on AOL. That's how we met <laughs> on AIM. Okay, yeah. Okay, so when we first got AOL in our house, it was a big deal. It was like basically like the olden days for you young folk listening out there. And so my dad was like, the computers in the kitchen were hooking up this thing called AOL. And it was like this big deal. And I had played around with it a little bit. And I had seen that you could send an AOL email to another AOL account. And then you could like unsend it and get it back. And so my brother was in the kitchen writing an email to my uncle. Married in uncle, not by blood uncle. This is important because he's no longer in our family. And he wasn't like the nicest person always. And my my brother, for some, I don't know why he decided to write to my uncle, but he's like writing him this suck up email. And I thought it was really funny that because like he would always like throw the ball around with like my cousins and accidentally like knock one of them in the face or, you know, just constantly my brother was doing things that were like accidental. And then this, my uncle would get like really agitated and be like, good job, pal. Good job, pal. And like always like, so I was like, oh my God, look at you sucking up to like our uncle. And I was like, move out of the way. I got something to say. So I sat down, I'm going to change his name for the podcast. And I wrote, Uncle Steve sucks Satan's penis. Send. <laughs> I was like, I mean, we grew up in a Catholic household. And my brother loses his fucking mind. And I was like, no. I'm like, look, this is hilarious. I can pull it back. And so I go to pull it back. And it goes, this message cannot be retrieved because it's not an AOL. Like, it was like another thing. <laughs> and it was very, I was like, Bullshit. And my brother's like, what have you done? I'm like, I literally don't know. What have I done? What have I done? So we had to go to my dad. And I was like, dad, 
I sent like and this was like the email was so new. I like literally just fucked up email like the minute I got it. I, like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I've written this thing to Uncle Steve, and my dad is just like, "You did it." I'm like, "No, I did. I did. It's in their inbox." I'm like, "You have to say the neighbor kid sent it. Just say the neighbor kid was messing around and sent it." And my dad's like, "I'm calling my sister right now." So he gets on the phone. He's calling his sister, and I'm like, "The neighbor. The neighbor <laughs> did it." I was like, "So Leah." I was like, "No." Oh, like on the floor convulsing like oh. that was probably the like, best day for your brother <laughs> well he was still no we were sickened and so my dad's like just go in your inbox there's an email and i want you just to delete it don't even look at it just delete it of course that's not what happens so then i get her calling going i don't i didn't know people could think of things like that is what she said and my dad sits me down to like tell me the conversation he had. And he's like, and the worst part, do you know what the worst part was? And I'm like, no, I don't know what the worst part is. And he's like, that I knew you were capable of so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, what made you write that? I'm like, it just popped into my head. It was funny. Wait, how old were you? Like 15. Okay, okay, okay. That's. Like, you know, just like I was like just trying to like scare my brother. Mm -hmm. And the phrase Satan sucks Uncle Steve's penis popped in my brain and I put it out there and I learned a big lesson that day. (laughs) That you were destined to write about penises. Right. (laughs) And to be real freaking careful with my internet. And let's just say I've had some times that have felt sketchy and this was the first time in a while that I'd had that feeling of just dawning horror. Right. I know the feeling. So yeah. Well, I'm glad that it all worked out today and that you didn't send like a video of like, satan sucking penis to you know big dragons sex tape (laughs) getting filmed so because if that happened somebody would have come and wanted to get revenge on me right you like that segue Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) okay it's all right yeah that's pretty good okay five out of ten uh okay better than meat breaking my internet numerous times let's get into what we're talking about today because we're excited yeah so today we're talking about the glory which is uh, a 2023 netflix thriller written by kim Unsuk and directed by on gil ho so kim Unsuk is basically k-drama writer royalty at least to us afternoonas <laughs> having penned dramas like goblin king the eternal monarch mr sunshine and descendants of the sun among others on Gil Ho has directed many dramas, including Happiness and Memories of the Alhambra. So part one of The Glory, which is eight episodes, is available now. Part two will release on March 10th. Song Hai Kyo is the lead in The Glory, and she's surrounded by a pretty stellar cla- cast, including Lee Do Hyun, Kim Hai Ran, Park Sung Hoon, and Jung Sung Il. The gist of the plot is this. A high school student has dreams of becoming an architect, but is soon the victim of school bullying. And by school bullying, we mean brutal, brutal violence. That is stomach churning. She has to drop out of school because of her tormentors who leave her permanently scarred. And she spends the next 15 or so years plotting revenge on them and on the bystanders who did nothing to help her. 
Her first step, becoming a teacher to the daughter of her worst bully. So we are going to, uh, as always, start out with a non-spoiler section, uh, and then we will let you know when we do get into spoilers. Before you read anything, can I yep. ask you, I want I have something for you. Yeah. Because Megan watched this first, because we had it on our schedule, and I am grateful <laughs> to Megan, because none of us knew that they were only dropping part one. So we thought this was a short eight-episode drama. Megan, mm-hmm. you didn't know that when you watched. <laughs> I did not know. And what so was that this like? is so I will say this. I wish I knew. I didn't. And that's like it just it just I didn't. I should have like researched it a little bit better. Um but I just didn't like I heard people talking about it and they were like it's a great show and no one was like, "Oh, I, but it's only part 1." Like no one said that. So I thought that that was kind of weird. But I will say when I was watching it, like this is this is the problem we're like writers. And my writer brain was like, eh, "The pacing is off." The pacing is off. Like, I'm into it, but it's not jiving. And then I was on episode eight, and I had half an hour left. And I was like, is everyone just, does everyone just die at the end? Because I don't see how in the world this is wrapping up. Does everyone just burn up in a ball of flame? Because this (laughs) makes no sense, okay? And it ends on kind of like a, like a cliffy, like, like you would on a regular episode. Right, not like a huge cliffhanger, but like something comes next. Yeah. And I'm staring at it going, well, that sucks. Like that is so, like now, like I hate this drama because this is (laughs) like nothing, like who wrote this shit? And then (laughs) I'm so pissed. And then on the screen, part two comes in March and I, I screamed. I was so pissed, so pissed because first of all, I feel like it, it messed up a little bit of my enjoyment of it because if I would have known there was a part two, I don't know. I just, whatever, it's fine. But I have had to readjust my thinking on the glory once I realized there's a part two. So, so I just like, you all got to know if you haven't. Right. Right. That's why I wanted to bring it up. (laughs) There is a part two. And it's obviously very, very evident there's a part two. So now that I know, and I look back at the drama, and like, like when we were like, I I wrote the script for this, this show. And then as I was like, typing up my answers, I was like, I was like, Oh, I, I like this more than I thought. And I think it's because I was like, thinking back at all the things that I did enjoy. It's just I think my like, bitterness over <laughs> the ending and the part two thing you know, ruined it a little bit for yeah, me. Yeah, that would have messed with me. Yeah, which is not the drama's fault. So No. Thank you for and bringing I did that recommend up. It to you, and I did recommend it to you, and I did not realize that was the case. So I also take no, some responsibility. It's not your fault, because first of all, I could have, I literally just one night was like, oh, we ha- uh, Leah mentioned we're going to watch The Glories for the pod, so I'll just knock it out now. And I binged four episodes in one day be- one night very because- easy to do it's very bingeable yeah uh, you want to because i was also like oh my god this is tearing my heart out i just want this yeah. over with so that's another thing i was like okay only four more episodes to go and i'll have a resolution and these people will get their come up it's gonna be great it's gonna be great <laughs> <laughs> now i gotta wait till march so it's fine i'm just you know i i almost want to watch like the end again like the last yeah. episode like episode eight it was good yeah so it's, I mean, it's not the norm for a drama to drop like this usually. So it's, you know, like yeah. for, for us not, like, we don't usually research 
a drama that's live to be like, well, is it the whole drama? Because it's not usually like this. So right. It's not like it dropped because Netflix does do like, like one episode a week sometimes. So if it dropped like that, then I would have like researched how many episodes, but it just dropped all eight. Right. In one day. So I thought it was going to be like my name. That's what I thought it was going to be like, which was, I think, pretty sure eight episodes. It was really quick. And um, so that's the way I thought it was going to be. But again, it's okay. Just y'all got to (laughs) know. It's not wrapping up in eight episodes. I can tell you that. And so we're only talking about half a drama today. Yeah, we're only talking about half a drama. But I think these eight episodes did have an arc already. Absolutely. Okay, so the first question, again, in the non-spoiler section is... This drama does not shy away from brutal bullying, and we'll, uh, you know, talk about that. So just a warning to those who haven't watched yet. It's pretty graphic uh, and hard to watch. And also, these are involving high school students. So these are kids. Was this hard for you to watch as a viewer? Yeah. I mean, after the first episode, my first thought was, I don't know if I'm going to keep going. Like, I might just let Leah and Megan do this one because I don't even think I'm going to enjoy this. Which now, eight episodes in, I'm like, oh my gosh. It's weird to say I love it. Like, it's a weird thing to say about a drama with, you know, this topic. But, like, I'm super invested, super intrigued, and I'm I'm enjoying the journey. But it was rough. Like, I don't like violence at all. We've talked about that. Like, we all know that I'm the one, you know, who's throwing a blanket over her head. And I'm not good at watching it without doing that. But... I can usually disassociate and make it through something with like a zombie apocalypse because even though you get emotionally invested in the characters, it's not the characters so much against the characters, right? Unless it's like The Walking Dead and then it's about horrible humans and stuff like that. But but when you add the psychological torture of bullying and the fact that humans can be as cruel as they are in this scenario, because I've seen bullying in K-dramas and I've never seen stuff this brutal – and so it's much more brutal when you have that emotional connection to it. Um, because if you have even an ounce of empathy, then it basically destroys you. And that's, I really was kind of a mess after the first one. And I was like, I don't know if I can go through seven more episodes like this. And they do, like, just as a warning, they do flash back to the bullying in every episode. But it was like that introduction to it in episode one that really kind of hit me over the head. And I was like, oh my God, I don't, like, I can't believe that this, like, could happen and it could. Yeah, I felt the same way. I was so like disgusted, but then I always kind of feel this way though when it comes to dramas like this or something something where someone's like bullying bur- bullied or degraded, I almost feel like I need to watch it like for them. Like I need to like honor what this character is going through and I need to like suffer with them. But it it like it made me physically nauseous mm-hmm. to watch to watch some of this. It's really difficult. I do feel like if you are sensitive to to bullying and especially when it comes to like bullying among like class systems, so like wealthy against um, not wealthy, that's, that's what this is. It is, it's hard and it's graphic and it's, yeah, it's, it's physical, physical bullying in in addition to even some sexual and um, yeah, all of it was, was really hard. I mean, I'm glad I pushed through, but Amy's right. It's like there's constant flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So you don't, it's not like it's one, the first episode and then it like goes away. <laughs> it's like it's there constant. all the time. Yeah. And yeah, I just wanted, I mean, like, yes to all of that. And then furthermore, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the writer, Kim Un-suk, because, you know, we've always been a fan of hers. And, um, 
And so she said that at a press conference for the glory that the genesis of this idea, like the seed that was first planted was when her younger daughter asked her a question that's pretty alarming, which was, would it hurt worse to be beaten to death or to beat someone else to death? So the kid was just pondering it. And I guess, you know, because we writers are all weirdos, she immediately like went to her studio and started working on what eventually became this drama. And I think also what is interesting is she has always done like some ripped from the headlines stuff that she puts into her dramas. Like her like idea with crash landing on you was kind of from, you know, remember it was like the actress who was on a boat and it like weather got bad and they ended up like kind of getting pretty close to South Korea. And that was kind of like the, the genesis for like how Chloe started with this. There was a story that got quite a lot of media attention about vicious middle school bullying that was very physical and use the hair, the curling iron as a burning tool. And that's real. And so I guess for um, folks in Korea, they were like recognizing that happening as like being related to the case as well. And there's been some discussion online about that. God, that's so sickening. Yeah. Speaking of this, were were you ever bullied when you were younger? And if so, how did that experience impact you? Yeah, so this is not stuff that I usually talk about, but I thought it was fitting, obviously, for today. And I was I was not continuously bullied and never like really physically bullied like this. But I do have two incidents from my childhood that to this day are some of my sharpest memories and that kind of illustrate how those who have the capacity for cruelty know how to poke at someone's insecurities in order to be cruel. And it also, I think, not that I'm not already, like, you know, empathizing with Dong Un, but, like, how this stuff can stay with you for decades and still feel, like, as fresh as it did back then. Like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a revenge seeker, and I'm not, you know, I'm not playing the long game here with a revenge plot, but I could understand her and why this stuff still feels like it happened yesterday. So the first was just when I was 10. And I got into a fight with my friend who literally lived across the street. And I don't remember what we were doing, but we were outside in our neighborhood. And whatever it was that got her upset or got us upset at each other, I remember standing like right in front of each other face to face and her looking me like right in the eyes. And then she slapped me on the chest and called me a stupid Jew. Jesus Christ. I know, right? Her parents made her apologize, but it was like, Oh. Not until then, not until then did I realize that like being Jewish could be used against me. Like I was 10. Mm. I didn't really know about the Holocaust. Like you're not learning in depth, you know, history at 10 years old in that would have been like, you know, the mid 80s. So like I didn't. Yeah, I had no idea. And so I was it was more confusing than anything because I remember going home and asking my mom, like, why would she call me that? Like, what does that even mean? And so that was like oh. that was a learning experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely stuck with me. I'm getting like nervous to talk about the next one, but I'm going to do it. Uh, so the second was when I was in junior high. We called it junior high <laughs> because that's how old I am. Um, cause it was only seventh and eighth grade when I, in the late eighties. So junior high where everybody does stupid shit and, I, and a stupid thing that I did like got me bullied. So it was the week that all the classes in home ec were making chocolate chip cookies. And I say home ec because that's also what we called it back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> home economics. Um, <laughs> uh, and this is the part that I don't remember clearly because I don't know how this was not like a health violation. But the class before us, 
because there were like a couple different classes doing it, obviously, right? Their dough was sitting out because you made the dough one day and then baked the next because you only had like, you know, 30 minutes or whatever. So there's a bunch of like bowls of dough sitting out, which if there's raw egg in there, I, I feel like probably not the best thing. But so, of course, a bunch of 12-year-olds who love cookie dough dipped in and ate some of the other classes' dough, right? That was my huge behavior violation from when I was a preteen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I ate some dough. So long story short is the teacher found out but didn't know who did it. And so she wanted whoever did it to confess. And being like the nervous, insecure preteen that I was, like this was the thought in my head. I'm like, well, if I admit I was one of the people that I look like a total goody-goody. And if I don't, then I'm an asshole, right? So before I was able to like – confess and say I did it like some of the other kids I don't know if they got found out or they just like ratted me out or whatever okay fine so we all get detention right this is like seriously the one and only time I had detention in middle school or high school and I think that I basically paid my dues because here's how detention went so it was a group of us sitting at a round table in the home ec room and it was like a few of us girls and two boys in our group and one in particular who I won't name names, because I know people still talk to him today, he laid into me the whole time that I was a huge slut. Oh, my God. Because I didn't wrap myself out for eating the dough. And however long we sat there, 30 minutes, an hour, I don't remember. My voice is like shaking. (laughs) Yeah, but this is horrible. Um, It is. It is. He just went on and on about what a whore I was. Like, I was 12. Yeah, where do kids even learn this? Yeah. (gasps) And, like, saying some pretty graphic stuff about, like, how slutty I was. So here's where it felt like a K-drama. Where was the teacher? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that she left us sitting at this table in her classroom and, like, was going around, like, doing shit after school because teachers are busy. Right? So, yeah. Where was the teacher? It was like a K-drama, and I was 12. And I've only ever told a couple people about this, other than you guys right now and everybody else listening. Um, and to this day, if this guy's name is brought up, because of course he was like super popular in high school after that, I just maintain that I think he's an asshole and leave it at that. Like his name even came up recently at our, we had our 30 year high school reunion over the summer. He was not there. But another guy that I'm friends with brought him up and it was like, and telling me how he, you know, they live in the same town. He sees him all the time. And like, it would have been so cool if he was here. He's so funny, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, nope, he's an asshole. Like more than 30 years later, I feel this in my bones. And so I can't even imagine like what Dong Un feels. And she's, you know, she's a fictional character. But obviously, like you said, like Kim and Sook, like rip stuff from the headlines. But like, I have held on to that. My one good friend from high school who I've told this story to, like, we like, you know, semi joke about it. Like, if his name comes up, she's like, oh, it's your nemesis, you know, like he doesn't know. And I doubt this is like even like holds any space in his memory. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea to this day, like, why he was so cruel and, you know, if he was ever that cruel to anybody else. But and if, and did I say anything to anybody? No. Did I tell an adult? No. Cause I was humiliated. Mm-hmm. You know, Oof. I, I, uh, <laughs> It just, it's, I retweeted a tweet today and I retweeted it. And what I said was the plot of the glory. So the tweet says, let me tell you a fact I learned. Your school bully has forgotten he bullied you. The narrative in his head is totally different to yours. If you ever yep. bring it up, they'll be shocked about how much their actions affected you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is the, 
That's yes. the freaking the glory. And it's true. I have, I hold grudges like you wouldn't believe. And like, just there, you know, someone had like said like one thing to me in middle school and like, I know her name. I know what she looks like. And yeah. I'll never forget. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just crazy what we hold on to, but it's because at the time that that was done to us, it like, sticks in your psyche and i think that that is what's so horrible about bullying is because it just it's like a parasite it just sticks in you. it is it is and i hate that this person even holds space in my memory right? you know Doesn't what i mean frustrate like, you? like he what? doesn't deserve he does not deserve right. that space i get it yet it's there i get it so thank you for listening yeah thank and you thank for you sharing for being vulnerable because like you said that was a painful <sighs> yeah. memory that's hard in middle school, mm-hmm. I would get random nosebleeds. Can you imagine? Just like all over my desk. And so, yeah, obviously I was like a little ostracized um, in middle school. I mean, it was okay, but it was, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I can't, I'm, I'm not saying that like things didn't happen to me, but I can't think of like an incident like what you described, I would say. it. Does, I mean, but it's not. I always say this, like, it's not like the pain Olympics, like, you know, your pain's not less just because it wasn't the same, you know, intensity Mm -hmm. as mine or or anything like that. But like, just like speaking as a, as a former teacher, I had a student that that happened to um, when I, when I was a teacher and it was like either freshman or sophomore. And I used to, I would tell him, I'm like, please do not raise your hand. Don't wait for me to like, see that you're bleeding. If you're, you know, to like, for you to come get a tissue or walk out of the room. I'm like, if it happens, you just go and you mm-hmm. take care of it and you come back. Like, and I, I hope that you had teachers that <sighs> empathized at least. It was like, I used to get blood clots, like blood clots would come out of my nose on my dad. It was disgusting. I was, oh, I was oh. gross. <laughs> With your little meat stand. I was like, maybe that's why you feel so wet. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was systematically bullied. (laughs) So I feel like I've talked about it with you guys. You have, you Um, have. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was like, for a period of time, like, horrifically bullied, probably, I would say. So, like, long story short to kind of like, because honestly, it's too much. And I, and I don't remember individuals very much because it was too widespread. Oh my God, (laughs) Leah. Like, I moved to Italy. Like, I like had like a normal, like social life for a child and I lived in Italy and it was fine um like in middle school and then in seventh grade we moved back to the U.S. and seventh grade so I'd I'd been in Europe for like a year and a half I guess and like was I in an awkward stage yes but apparently in Italy like no one really cared I had like kind of a mullet and like weird glasses and stuff so I get back to the small town where we were going to go for a little bit and I don't want to get I mean there's too many stories but like Basically, it was like something weird where I showed up. I was different, even though I was only like a few towns away from where I'd like grown up. And I was like the other, right? And so I would just get like made fun of all the time. And then when I moved to Chicago, which is like where we kind of like permanently went after like three months, I was like broken, I think at that point. Like even my dad said once that like, he was driving home from work in this little like town in Michigan and he saw a kid just sobbing and walking down the sidewalk and then was like, that's sad. And then was like, Oh, it's Leah. Oh my God. And then was like, well, shit, I don't know what to do. And he said, he just drove home and he always <gasps> felt bad. Because you know, it was, the 90s. it was the nineties. This was how we dealt with emotional pain. <laughs> <And> so, 
so I got to school in Chicago and I was, um, it was like fucking putting like chum in the water. Like I was already broken and, you know, kids just sense that. They like, do. you know, so I'd had two or three months of like just being bullied that I went into the school that like, you know, we bought the house. Like this was in Barrington, like mm-hmm. right next to where you live. Literally and, a town next door. Yeah. And so I remember the first day was just a bad day. And I came home and I got on my hands and knees to my mom and was like, please, I cannot do this. Like, I cannot go back. She put me in the car and drove me back to the middle school and walked me in. And people were still there doing like sport and stuff. And she like made me go in. And there was a sign that was like, it was a pretty big school. There was like maybe like 850 or a thousand kids at the school. And they had like a thing with like all the numbers. And she, like a freaking movie, points at it. But I'm in public, remember. And she's like, look at all the kids at the school. You can find one friend here. And I was just like, I would get on the bus in the morning, like standing outside. And I just remember like, um, you know, Ely Road, don't you? Well, I don't Ela, know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's and right so by my I house. Would stand, yeah. I would stand out on the corner to catch the bus and I had glasses. And when you get on the bus and it's cold out, all oh, your glasses. Up. Oh. And so everyone would just be like yelling at me on the bus and nobody would let me sit down. And I'd be trying to like unfog my glasses. I know. Seriously. Like my my chest Like sit down, sit down. I'd be like, I can't sit down. Like no one's letting me sit down. And they would like sing songs about me. And so I ended up being like, I can't, I can't do this. And I would tell my parents like, please drive me to school. And they'd be like, no, figure it out. And so I remember I like found a bike in our garage and I, hit it in the bushes and I would pretend to go to the bus and I would like run behind the, these houses, go to my bike in the bushes and like bike to school basically. <laughs> and then somebody stole my fucking bike. And so then I would just have to like jog to school. <laughs> like as fast as You're I like could. a every- trauma character. That's what you Seriously. are. Seriously. getting on this bus. And then I would like find notes in the hallway and I would like hold them to read them to pretend like I had friends because I wanted to feel like I wasn't like. And then the last story I'll think of is I made one other friend who had like no friends, right? Like we were like very not cool. And like you said, like with the teachers, like, you know, again, this was the 90s and like what were teachers doing? I can remember for some reason this poor person was voted to read the homeroom announcements every day. And so my coping strategy was mostly to do nothing. Like I just kind of would just like shut down and I read a lot. And this poor person, she had to read the home, the homeroom announcements. And while she would read them, people would just throw stuff like pencils, pennies, whatever. Oh my and the God. teacher would just sit at the desk, like reading the paper. And every once in a while, I'll be like, cut it out. I mean, I felt like we were fed to the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> what the and hell? And then I remember, like, so, I mean, I just have a lot of it. Like, for, like, a year and a half, it was, like, pretty horrific. And then, (laughs) like a fucking movie, I got contacts before high school, (laughs) and I got a haircut. And while I was at the salon, after I'd gotten my haircut and I was waiting, the popular guy came in and sat next to me and started talking to me. And was like, who are you? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, (laughs) I don't understand what's happening. He called me that night on the phone, like had like found my phone number and was like, I'm looking you up in the yearbook and I don't even understand. And so I got to high school and I think I probably, I didn't bully people, but I kind of like in survival mode, like cut my like few nerdy friends, I guess. Like, so that was not nice. 
But I basically, I remember like I had friends. And when I moved from that school in sophomore year, I got like a book from all these people. And in it, I remember clicking, flipping through it and being like, so many of these were my bullies, oh, like man. in middle school, yeah. like my horrible bullies yeah. that like I was physically in fear of and like would confront me in the locker rooms and stuff. And here they are like writing me these like messages in this book and I still have the book. So I guess that's like my little like I'm not going to like go do anything, but I feel like for me, I just like developed very elaborate workarounds to like cope. Right. So like running to school in the morning or trying to you know, like have the bike. I mean, for my eighth grade graduation, like I remember it was pouring rain. I had a dress. I was trying to run. I remember I fell in the mud and I had to like take my little tights off and like go to school with like mud on my dress because I like refused to ever take the bus again after like the trauma of it. So yeah, nobody ever like beat me. It was just a lot of like being in your space really close and kind of just like tormenting you. Like I remember like in woodshop or in drafting, like you would just get like people that just couldn't, they just knew that they could get you. Mm-hmm. And so like never eating lunch. I knew not to eat lunch in like a public space. I would always go to the bathroom every lunch period, just stuff like that. Like I was just like very much like in survival mode to just like make it through that school. And so, yeah. Anyway, like I said, I like, yeah and it's just the fact that it's I think it's the bystanders probably the most to it because you know they're the people who are hurting are the people who are bullying so looking back I always have like known that like you know the people who were being active bullies and the people I even like knew in high school by the end like the people who'd been like the meanest that were like now my kind of friends like I realized that they had like fucked up lives basically and so even at like in high by high school I'd been like okay like hurt people hurt others. Right. But it was the bystanders, I think, that were the worst because they weren't necessarily hurt. They just didn't want to like become like cannon fodder themselves. Yeah. Which is what we see in the story. Is like some of the people there yeah. were vulnerable socially. So they're like, we're just gonna chill here because if we say anything, like we're fucked. Right. It's I mean, like I I've been in the same situation too, like where I moved between fifth and sixth grade and sixth grade was still like top of elementary, right? So like moving during that year is like the I went from like an elementary school where I knew everybody to one where I knew nobody. And same thing, like I glommed on to like the couple people who also were new. But then when the quote unquote popular people invited me into their group and it was literally called the group, <laughs> I was like, well I need I need this clout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I stopped talking to the other people. And like to this day I feel like shit about it. And that yeah. like and, and that's the thing, like I will hold on to that and hold on to like feeling like an asshole for that. And mm-hmm. and I and I know that this person, again, who I'm holding space for in my memory, like you just, you know, read that quote, Megan, like mm-hmm. he if I were to tell him the story, he'd be like, What? I never like I don't remember right. that. He'd be like, right. whatever. You know, and he doesn't know that you like, yeah. Well, I feel like I was sort of just always I was always like friends with the popular people, but they that wasn't like my group. I feel like I was always on the outskirts, but it was like enough to like be away from be safe. Be safe. <laughs> yeah, I was always kind of like safe. The I don't want it to like appear that I was like very popular because I wasn't. Um I will say though I did have a very popular older brother, and when I w- went into high school, a lot of the seniors knew him and they would honestly talk to me a lot of the girls would talk to me because they all liked my brother and they were still trying to like date him. So I feel like that 
like all of that culminated into like, I just kind of slipped under the radar. You know what I mean? Hmm. And um, like, because I should have been ripe. I was like this like tiny little thing. I also dated a lot. I was like, I wanted, I really wanted to make a short joke there when you said slipped under the radar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I also like, I, I dated and I feel like I, I always had a boyfriend. So maybe I just was like focused on boys or something. I don't know, man. I don't know. But I'm clearly like sensitive to it and um there's an i'm not gonna get into my kids stuff on the podcast but there was an incident at the school recently that i had to deal with and with my son and so like i hear bullying and i just I, but i try to explain to my kids sometimes like still even almost like be sympathetic to them like you don't know what they're going through i mean no one's hitting my children that'd be a whole yeah. different story. if someone was burning them with a curling iron that would be a whole different story I, <sighs> <laughs> but like little comments, what are you going to do? You know, Ugh, it's still, I know it sticks with you though. It does. And it's, it it's, does. It's hard. I so think I dated, I dated a, well, this, I dated um, a guy when I was, he was in ninth grade. And I think he only dated me because he looked up to my brother. Um, they played the same sport and I was in eighth grade. I mean, ridiculous. What was I doing? And um, I still remember there was, he had like an ex-girlfriend and she said to him, oh, I see you're dating like a third grader or whatever. Or, th I, you know, she called me like an eight, eight year old or something like that. Because I was, I did look eight. Like, why was he dating me? I did, <laughs> I did look eight. Okay. But I still remember it like offended me so much. And I know it's, again, that like, you talked about what you guys went through and I'm like, oh God, but like, but everything me, is so big that, when you're that young. That stuck with you know me, what I mean? that, that she, <sighs> that she like diminished me and it made me uh -huh. feel silly and insecure about who I was and um, my appearance. Um, Cause at the time you want to look older. So um, right. in eighth grade, that was, that was, that was rough. And so I still remember that. And she probably does not, she probably doesn't even know who I am. She probably does not even remember my name. And I know her name. <laughs> I can yep. like, I can point her out in a crowd. I can't believe that. But. Yeah, I think I have a thing now. In many ways, I, I would never wish the experience I had on my kids. But for me, I felt like I like had a lot of like pivotal. I mean, yeah, I would have liked to have had things be different. But I felt like I got a lot out of it in many ways, like for myself, when I like think back on, you know, skills I have or whatever. I do think you're like but empathic, I, like beyond your years. And that might be. Yeah. And just the ability to adapt. I think my ability mm -hmm. to like take situations and survive, like <laughs> began at that stage. Yeah. But um, I think what makes me like feel uncomfortable is where I'm sure I was an ass to people. Like after this, like, you yeah, know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like I went through a bullying experience and did like then was like an angel. So, I mean, I'm sure in high school I had like casual cruelty I would do. I mean, I can't remember specific things, but I mean, like we were just all insecure assholes, you know? And it's the and worst social structure too. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's so hard. Oh, I was a total, like, I, I think of things I did in college and I'm like, oh my God, I was, I was horrible to some people in college yeah. for sure. And I just feel like in college, like there was a lot of like, like not passive aggressive, but just like we all would just like give each other shit all the time. But for some people, like they couldn't 
like it was hurtful, yeah. even if that was like our friend group was just very much like it was just doling out the shit. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, that can really be painful sometimes to yeah. people. And so, yeah, I have. Well, I don't like it. But anyway, I think, you know, we've gone and done some group therapy here to like, yeah. you know, all of our listeners. That was a nice therapy session. Just say that like, this is all in my mind having finished the glory this afternoon. Right. And I finished <laughs> it this morning. So like, it. it's very fresh. Yeah. So what are some other dramas that feature bullying that you think either did a great job or didn't do a great job? Not a great job, boys over flowers. <laughs> like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure no adults actually worked at that school. No. All of us are dead. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually, I mean, those those bullies kind of get their comeuppance, so I like it. Um, and military prosecutor Doberman. So this is um, obviously military bullying, not school. But this was rough. This this was this was also some graphic bullying. There was some sexual bullying. It was. Um, mm. There's a man who like snaps and kills people it, it, it because of being bullied. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot. Um, but I thought they handled it well, and they talked a lot about the abuse of power. Yeah, I, going along with that, I was I thought of DP because that you know it's military bullying, but it was hard to watch. Um. And then True Beauty, um, I haven't seen, but I've heard, I mean to, because my daughter really liked it and there's some bullying there. And then I haven't seen Tomorrow like you two did, but apparently there's like a pretty impactful bullying episode in Tomorrow. Do you remember? No, I'm trying to remember. I know, I think there is too, but now I can't remember. I can't pinpoint it it because there's so much, there's so much in that drama. All right. Well, if we think about it, uh, let it, or, Drop in the comments. This is not to guys... say that it wasn't impactful on us. It's no. just we've watched a lot since tomorrow. Exactly. So. Well, and tomorrow was was heavy. Like every episode yeah. was heavy. And for some reason, I don't remember the bullying one, but I do know there was one. Well, the bullying one was the first. I'm sorry. The bullying was the very first girl. Like the two. Like, and then she worked with her. Yes, I remember it. The bullying is the very beginning of tomorrow. Okay. Maybe that's why, too, because we watched yeah. like so much. The after very that. first two episodes. Good job, Amy. Um, okay, so you t- you two, Amy and Leah, weren't huge fans of Song Hai Kyo in Descendants of the Sun. Did you like her better in The Glory? So let me start by saying that I'm not blaming my dislike of Descendants of the Sun on Song Hai Kyo. Like that, dr- for some reason, that drama just didn't hit me. And I know that it's a favorite for a lot of people. So I'm not like bashing that drama. But there were a lot of things that just didn't connect for me in that drama. And one of them was her character. And for a while, I thought it was maybe her performance of that character. And so it made me nervous to watch this drama because I was like, oh, like, I thought she was one of the reasons that I didn't like Descendants of the Sun. But I am all in on her in this. I think she is fantastic. And I'm loving her in this role. And I I, I don't know. I just think she is doing it very subtly, very nuanced and it's she's just got this like sort of control in her performance that I think is really, really fantastic. Yeah, I echo. I mean, I didn't like her performance in Descendants of the Sun at all. I thought she was beautiful and I still think she's beautiful, but I thought she gave a really wooden performance um, to the point that I almost wasn't going to watch the glory because I was like, ugh, I just don't want to like watch her again. And I'm so glad I did because I found her magnetic. And one thing I really enjoyed was she does this thing where sometimes when she's like confronting someone, it's like she's very like honest and kind of like 
yeah, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> like, I don't know. She played it in like a really interesting way that I just felt like was like super, not creepy, but like disarming. And it was like a very gentle way to just kind of be like, mm -hmm. I am coming for your soul without like really lose it. Like she never yells in as an adult. She stays very calm and she's got those big eyes and it's just kind of like, I am here for your suffering. <laughs> and it's like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't see Descendants of the Sun. I haven't seen her in anything. Um, and I, I will admit, I, I don't really love her. And <laughs> I know Amy was like, well, maybe if you saw <laughs> what she was like in Descendants of the Sun, you'd be like, oh my God, she's so much better in this role. I just, uh, I, Maybe this is bad too. So I maybe be comparing, I'm, I might be comparing her to Han So Hee, which was the lead in my name, which is a, a very similar drama in plot, I guess, or, and vibe. And I loved Han So Hee. And so it's like, she lives, it's, it's the same thing. She's like, you know, dedicated her life to re revenge and lives a pretty like emotional, ex emotionless existence. She doesn't let herself love, be loved, anything. So, I mean, there are, there were some lines that Song Haikyo delivered that were, oh my God, I just thought the delivery was so bad. It took me completely out of the scene. And I was like, come on, like, I, uh, but you know what? There's room to grow. So maybe in part two, she'll blow me away. So I'm, I'm, I'm not like coming down on her too badly because maybe in part two, I'll really like go for her. So we'll see. I, I just, there are moments where I wish there was someone different in her role. That's all. But again, we will see. So any comps for the glory? I mean, I started thinking about Itawan class the second I started watching this um, and a lot as I went through it. Um, but I think this is a lot darker than Itawan. Um, and I'll talk more about the parallel in the spoiler section because noticing the parallel also made me notice something about myself as a viewer that we talked about earlier today, Megan. Um, and I think it'll be a factor for a lot of viewers. But for now, I'll say that Itawan's a good comp because both dramas rely primarily on like the long game revenge plot. I remember when I first started watching Itawan, I'm like, wait, how, how long is he planning for this? And it was like, he's like, I got a 15 year plan. <laughs> Like, yeah. So I'm like, oh man, like there really is a long game going on here. And, and she's the exact same way. Like she has lived her entire life since she dropped out of high school for what she is doing now in the glory. Yeah, totally. I think that's a great comp. And then Megan, I know you and I had one that was similar, which is my name, which we've talked about, which is, you know, just a revenge story. <laughs> um, a little less psychological though. That was like more of kind of like a bloody revenge story to me. And like, this is more, you know, that was somebody avenging like their father. And yes, it gets like mixed up with like gangsters and stuff like that. Whereas this was more the psychology of bullying and just kind of like, yeah, a little bit more wild. I think I said that in Slack when I was watching this, I said, I feel like it's a psychological, my name, because my name, I mean, the only, the violence in the glory is is the bullying but there's th other than that there's not uh like much uh, as much especially my name my name was just like constant <laughs> violence all the time and look i'm also going to say a very distant comp but could be strangers from hell because i don't know man i got to see how this drama ends 
because if it doesn't end kind of with like an HEA, then yeah, it's going to feel like strangers from hell to me. I'm rooting for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll talk about that later. But yeah. Okay, and now it's time for our favorite part of every week. It's the K-pop wreck of the week. And this time we have Leah. All right. Well, I am really excited because I got tickets to see um, Jackson Wang and I cannot wait. I think that he's a really interesting performer. And so he is my K-pop wreck of the week. And I'm going to go with a song that he had dropped on his album Magic Man, which came out in 2022. And the song is called Drive It Like You Stole It. And this is a super fun, super sexy song that basically is kind of making that metaphor of like, girl, you drive it (laughs) like you stole it. (laughs) And... I don't know. I'm here for it. And I've been listening to it every day when I come into work. So I really love it. So, um, yep, that's Jackson Wang. And that is Drive It Like You Stole It. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoona Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, blow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. So what kinds of things do you both like to do when you drive? Pay attention to the road? Is this a trick question? All right, how about when you fold laundry? Why am I folding laundry in this scenario? Read, friends. I was trying to get you to say read. You could just ask us if we like to read when we drive or... Wait, how are you reading when you're driving? With Audible. You know, our sponsor, who is the leading creator and provider of premium audio storytelling, enriching the lives of millions of listeners every day. I listen to audiobooks on my commute to work in the car. Oh yeah, I totally do that. I love my Audible subscription. Then why'd you leave me hanging with the whole driving thing? Forget it. It's not important. What is important is that now our listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible Premium Plus from Afternoon of Delight. Do you know what they get with that free trial? Actually, I do. They get one audiobook credit, two if they are Prime members, which is good for any premium selection, and they get to keep that audiobook. They also get the whole Audible Plus catalog of podcasts like Afternoon of Delight, audiobooks, guided wellness, and audible originals. 
And with the Plus Catalog, you can listen all you want, no credits needed. And Audible sends you a reminder email before your trial ends. Sounds like a great way to spend 30 days to me, especially if you're heading outside for a walk, have a long commute to work, or just want to hear one of many talented narrators really bring your book to life. All you have to do is go to www.audibletrial.com slash afternoon to sign up and you're ready to download your first listen. Enjoy. So now it is time for the spoiler section. And even though it is eight episodes, there is a lot to spoil. A lot goes on in eight episodes. So a little bit more uh, about the drama. Song Hai Kyo plays the adult Dong Un, who remains scarred mentally and physically by the bullying she endured in high school. She is single-minded in her revenge and lives in a bare apartment surrounded by pictures of her tormentors as she's kept tabs on them as they've grown up. Ji Yun, the most hated of the bullies, I would say the most cruel too, is now a weather reporter who doesn't write her own scripts, (laughs) and lives in a big house with her attractive, rich husband and very cute daughter. John Jae-jun, who is having an affair with Ji-yun, is the wealthy owner of like his father's golf course or something and like a clothing store. While Sun Myung-oh is his disgruntled lackey, like there's bad blood there. Uh, Lee Sara is a talented artist who is addicted to drugs. And Choi Hai-jung is a flight attendant who is kind of one of the least wealthy of the group. So she's often belittled and really wants a rich husband because she wants to show up uh, the more the, the richer girls of the of this group friend group and i put friends in quotes yeah we really use the term friend group loosely because none of them really have like honest relationships with other with with each other like they're not supportive of each other how like i would support my friends there's constant backstabbing lying and one-upmanship they are sure to put the less wealthy of the friends myung oh and hai jong in their places as often as they can and in a very cruel way um, there's a scene where Hai Jung is wearing a dress of Sarah's and she calls her out on it, belittles her, and then like dumps water on her or something. Like it's just, ugh. Anyway, they've nearly forgotten Dong Un as she was just one girl in a whole line of girls they bullied. Uh, so E from Singles Inferno 2 plays like a past victim of theirs. So, yeah, Dong Un uh, then shows up as a teacher of Ji Yun's daughter and makes it very clear that she doesn't have good intentions. So we watch the bullies, played by younger actors, torment a young Dong Un, played by Jung Ji So, in flashbacks. But it's an adult Dong Un who gets her revenge on adult actors. All those lies and secrets among the friends, she exploits them for her gain. So did the drama do a good job making you also strongly dislike the adult versions of these characters? I think the casting of both generations was so well done, and especially like the back and forth between the timelines shows some really great parallels like in the actors' behaviors as to how they approach the roles. 
The bullies grew up to be even worse versions of themselves, and maybe they aren't physically torturing anyone, but they are verbally abusive, incessantly manipulative, and have built their lives on lies upon lies upon lies. So basically, I hate everyone, like, <laughs> no matter no matter what age they are. So yeah, I think the casting was fantastic. <laughs> it's like the Lego song, like, everything is awful. It's just like, every bu- everyone is terrible. That's what it feels like. <laughs> well, the song is Everything is Awesome. Yeah, but oh, then they right. have the Lego 2, which is everything is... Oh, that's right. That's right. In, the, in Lego 2. Awesome. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. It's not awful to start with. <laughs> so I sometimes have trouble with flashbacks in dramas because I've grown to either like or dislike a certain actor playing that character. So then when they're like a completely different actor as an adult, I often don't have like the same feelings. And like, maybe that's on me... But that's the way I feel. And I loathed teenage ji with, like, the passion of a thousand fiery sons. Like, the actress who played her props because I hated her. Because <laughs> she yep. isn't just, na- like, she isn't just, like, bull- she is cruel. Like, it is mm-hmm. terrible. And so I wanted to see that girl, like, that teenage girl get her comeuppance. So I was worried that I wouldn't feel like satisfaction when it happened to the adult Ji-yun. But then the they made adult Ji-yun just as unlikable. <laughs> like just as terrible in like the first scene and not in a caricature way. Like truly not in a caricature way. But in the first scene, you're like, okay, yep, she hasn't changed. Like she is still a terrible person. Okay, okay. And they made every adult who bullied Dong-un just as terrible as their younger selves. Like, none of them have learned empathy. (laughs) None of them have had any character growth. They're just all terrible people. And so I thought, you know, that was all smart writing as well as terrific acting. Like, one thing that I thought was really good was when Dong-un was talking to Jae-jun and was like, you know, and he's worried about Yi-sol. And she's like, you know, I was someone's daughter too. Oh, that was such, that I, that was a good line. That was a good line. Because you would think that becoming parents would change their outlook, but instead it's no, it's like, I love my child, but I have no empathy for anybody <laughs> else in the world. <laughs> my child and the dog, J. John's dog. Yeah. Yeah. I just was going to say, like, I think that the, um, flashbacks between the past and the present work really well here. Um, I felt like they were both compelling in different ways. Um, the past just for like the sheer shock value. And then I liked how the baddies as adults are still shitty AF. <laughs> but then they have these things that make them a little human. Like the flight attendant with the hunger for like, you know, to be like of a social class. Mm-hmm. Or the, you know, the lackey who wants to be a big man in his own right. Or one and then kind of two of them having like a love for daughter. And so there's still these like super awful humans. I just think it made it a little bit more believable because like, unlike strangers from hell where they're like psychopathic serial yeah, killers, just straight up these are cannibals, bad people, but with like some layers, you know? And so that makes it much more, I think, interesting and kind of terrifying as well to see somebody who can be so bad, but then like really does love their kid. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, they're, they're definitely like well-rounded characters. I, I completely agree with you. There's like 
bits of them that are very humanizing. I still hate them and they're still terrible. But you're right, it makes them whole people rather than just these like psychopaths who like burn a little girl. Yeah, they're not caricatures. No. Like they're definitely, they're well-rounded, horrible people. Yeah. The acting. Yeah. Is- it makes me still really root for them to be beaten, like and lose. Yeah. But it's making it much more enjoyable because if they were just like bad and that was it, like that'd be boring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you want to see her essentially exploit what humanity they have and exploit those yeah. weaknesses, I guess. I agree. And I think it makes her have like, they're still wily too. And so they're like, they're worthy adversaries yes. even now. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so how do you feel about Dong Un and her revenge mission? Does it squick you out that she is using Ji Yun's daughter as a pawn? And do you think she can ever like be happy or live a normal <laughs> life? So like the first thing I'll say is that I, is that I don't fear for Yi Soul's physical safety, the daughter, but I don't like that this revenge plot could uproot a little girl's world and take her from what seems to be a loving father and give her to someone as volatile and violent as Jay Jun. So yeah, never a fan of an innocent child getting used. But the rest of my thoughts go back to me listing Itawan as a comp and also back to the conversation that we had this morning, Megan, which was that this comparison like kind of cued me into my own misogyny as a viewer when watching dramas or like when reading romance. And I think this is like an issue across the board a lot of times with, um, you know, with romance readers and romance watchers. Because I'm cishet, I'm a sucker for a hot hero, right? And even though I don't love the idea of someone devoting their life to a long game revenge of like 15 years, I forgave Park Seroe for an Itawan class because it was Park Sejun and he can do no wrong in my eyes. So when the glory started, and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I like Dong Un. She's no better than her tormentors. Like, she's just doing the same thing. Like, I had to stop and check myself. I was like, wait, wait, wait. If Park Seroe was doing this, you'd be 100% in his corner. And that changed my whole outlook on the drama. And from there on, I was like, all in. Like, I'm loving it, despite it being disturbing as fuck. And I want her to be happy and live a normal life. But right now, she's beyond the realm of possibility. Like, she pretty much plans on this revenge destroying her because she considers herself already ruined. But I'm hoping that because Kim Eun-suk is a brilliant writer and, you know, that she's going to somehow forge a path for healing for both Dong Un and Ye Jung, like, please, like, let me have a little bit of hope because I don't think I don't think they can ride off into the sunset on a white horse named Maximus or anything like that. But like just to give us like a hint that they might be healing, like kind of like the end of If You Wish Upon Me, right? With our our second leads. Like just a hint that things may actually get better and that she doesn't have to completely lose herself in order to succeed in giving everybody their comeuppance. Yeah. So it's so funny that when we talked about that this morning because um, I had this exact epiphany when I was watching My Name, and I remember talking to Lee about it. I might have even mentioned it in the My Name uh, podcast episode that we did because I thought to myself, like, oh, when I was watching My Name, I'm like, oh my god, this woman is terrible, and she's like deceiving good people, and she's like causing havoc in her like single minded focus for revenge. And then I realized, well, first of all, she's deceiving a pure An Bo Hyun, who is a cinnamon roll. A, <laughs> and 
so I was like mad at her for that. And then I was like, okay, but if this was reversed and she was in An Bo Hyun's role and he was in her role, would I be rooting for him? And I was like, hell yeah, every step of the way, I would want him to burn everything down. And so it was the exact same thing, Amy. I had to be like, okay, I got to check my misogyny at the door because if she was a male actor, I probably would have been. And after that, then I began to really enjoy my name. So I feel like I learned a little bit then, but I did still like think about it when I was watching, I was watching The Glory. So, you know, I will say like, while the daughter thing like does squick me out for like the exact same reasons you mentioned, Amy, like I keep thinking, oh my God, like her home life is going to be, Mm -hmm. there's no way her home life is not blown up by the end of this drama. There's just, I don't see that happening and that sucks. Um, I I, I kind of am like, you know what, though? Like, Dongun can make every adult burn for all I care. They tortured her. <laughs> like, you know, and not just her. They're responsible for, like, the death of some girl. Like, I, I well, I don't even or know. Or are they? Yeah, we don't know for sure. <laughs> That's the thing. We don't know. But either way, they definitely did this. They definitely burned, like, other people. Just, they're just terrible. So, you know... As far as her happiness, I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. I feel like they're setting it up that it's not, obviously. So we'll see. One of the twists revealed in the first eight episodes is that the father of ji daughter is not her husband, who is hot AF, by the way. We need to have another mature heroes episode and talk about oh, him. I I, um, I mentioned him towards the end. Oh, because, oh my gosh. Like, I, okually, I love him. Anyway. The father of Jiyeon's- I want to learn to play Go, just be- just for him. Oh, he's so hot. Anyway, he, uh, the father of Jiyeon's daughter is not her husband, but Jae-jun. They find out because of uh, Jae-jun is colorblind and her daughter is colorblind. And apparently completely colorblind. Like, she can't see, like, green or she can't see... Yeah. Anyway. She's like color... She's like a mono from Yeah, color exactly. <laughs> um. So... Here's the deal. Was it hard to watch our sweet beta, So Kung Myung, from Into the Ring, play a pretty terrible man in Jae-jun? So until I saw this question, I had no idea. He so looks so different. I felt fucking shook. Yeah. Um, it was like the mullet. But like, I mean, like, as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, my God, of course. But it's just like. He's a transformative actor, right? Like, he is so good that he, like, embodies this other person. And there is no more green flag anything. It's just, like, one red flag with, like, ra- deep rage issues <laughs> and is- his little dog. Yeah. <laughs> he is unhinged. Like, he is a, he is a mess. He is giant. He is a Giant red flag. Scary. And I had to, like, look it up. Like, I was, like, because th- I was, like, he looks familiar. He can't be. He can't be that actor from Into the Ring. That's just, there's just no way. He looks so different and he's playing this complete asshole. And then sure enough, it's him. And I'm like, how? It's not just the hair. It's not. No. But the mullet is evil. Like, I I do believe that the mullet has something to do with it. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> complete different person. Like, I, I didn't know. It was like one of those things that while I was watching, I'm like, this guy looks familiar, but I can't place him. And so I just kept watching because it wasn't like – one of those things where it was like driving me crazy that I didn't know who it was. So I just waited until the end. And then I looked up the cast because I'm like, these people are horrible because they're amazing actors. Like, I want to know who they are. And so I, you know, I look at the list of other dramas and it says, what's the other name for Into the Ring? Memorials. 
memorial says memorials and i was like no i know (laughs) no and what i love about asian wiki it's like my favorite place to go what i love about asian wiki is when you click on a drama it shows a picture of them from what they look like in that drama thank you so like i need yes i agree Yes, I need that. Like, don't give me their headshot. Give me what they look like in the drama so that I could see him as the cinnamon roll. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I can't, like, he was the cinnamon roll of all cinnamon rolls and into the ring. Mm -hmm. And then he is terrifying in the glory. Yeah. And I really, I really do. I think I might blame it on the mullet because that's what makes him unrecognizable. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) and his eyes just has mean eyes. He does. And all, and, and always doing the eye drops. Right. Oh, the eye drops are such a horrible tick. I need someone. I know, to- and it's creepy. It's just creepy. Why is he- it's creepy? I don't know why. The eye Something drops don't have it. anything to do with being colorblind, right? Like you can't just put in eye drops to like not be colorblind, right? Am I- as far as I know, I, I don't think so. Like I was like, why does he keep putting eye drops in his eyes? Maybe it's just his eyes are dry. I don't. Know. I mean, my husband is slightly colorblind and does have terribly dry eyes and always has eye drops as well. So I don't know. Maybe it's a thing. Okay, so let's talk about Joe or Ju Yo Jong, played by Yi Do Hyun, who we think uh, at the beginning is just this like sweet plastic surgeon, but learn by the end of part one that he's got some darkness in him. His father was killed, and his father's murderer has been sending Yo Jong letters from prison, graphically detailing how it felt to kill his father. So in the end of part one, Ido Hyun promises Dong Un that he'll help be her executioner. And I remember thinking, oh, God, are you serious? They're going to make this, like, sweet plastic surgeon do some, like, weird shit for her. And then at the end of part one, they reveal this creepy drawer of, like, scalpels. And you realize that he's got some he's got some issues. So what did you think about his character? And also any predictions on, like, where the plot will take him? Okay, first of all, I just want to say the drawer starts with scalpels. Right. Then, like, other cutting instruments, and they grow in size. <laughs> like, it's this really long, flat drawer. Yes. Until we have, like, until we have like hunting knives. Like, I feel like the only items the drawer was missing was maybe, like, a chainsaw and a machete. Like, there were some big-ass knives here. Mm-hmm. And look, I have to hand it to Kim Eun-suk and director um, An Gil-ho for how they roll out this reveal that he's got this going on because when you see the knife drawer and he has the daydream of stabbing his father's murderer, you don't know at that point that it's a daydream and not a memory. And this is like right after he said that he'll be Dongan's executioner, right? Mm -hmm. So it was so shocking and unexpected that, you know, me, like I don't like the violence, right? I didn't have time to cover my eyes before he – has this daydream of stabbing the guy in the in the stomach and then the neck. <laughs> and like the stomach thing, I was like, okay, that was unpleasant. And then he pulls the knife out and jams it into the guy's neck. And I was like, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I wondered, I thought of you in that moment when I saw it. I'm like, I wonder how Amy's coping. Cause it was just like I did I was just like staring at like wide-eyed staring at the screen. I'm watching it on my laptop too. So it's like right in front of me. And I was like, well, that was unexpected. <laughs> I was I was like fascinatingly like not too bent out of shape, but I was like, I mean, super shocked. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I think that he is like more of a wild card than Dong Un. Mm-hmm. And as much as I like adored him from the start, like I was like, thank you, Kim Moon Suk, for bringing this guy, you know, and, and the director for bringing this guy into my life because he's adorable. 
I'm super intrigued to see where his character goes, even if it is to a darker place, because now we know that he's got a revenge fantasy, too. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm super intrigued uh, to see where they take his character. Um, in a way, I want him to kind of go like full unhinged and ruthless as Dong-un. And this is why I made my Strangers from Hell comparison. Like, maybe the end will just go full bloodbath. Because that Strangers from Hell, like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry to tell you, there's a lot of blood in that. But um, <laughs> I don't really think that's that much of a spoiler. But uh, yeah, so part of me is just like, is this going to go just completely off the rails? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just... Oh, yeah. I mean, like, when he was playing, when he was playing Go with, with uh, Yeonjin's husband, mm-hmm. um, that, and he started, like, getting into it, like, what it would be, like, you know... That, like with revenge, and he's like, "Well, you can't use guns in Korea," and he's like, "But you could use knives." Yeah. Then you have to get up really close. Yeah, it was, and like- you have to feel it go in. And he's like saying it, and his, I mean, like his whole expression, his whole demeanor changes, and then he kind of shakes his head. He's like, <laughs> "He's like, I've been watching too much, too much Netflix lately." Oh, so funny. <laughs> but I just want to say he's like so hot. He's so hot. Mm-hmm. But like hot in like a little cinnamon little way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like, not like the the CEO of the architecture way, but just like, yeah, I'm curious. I really don't know what they're going to do with him. I don't think it's going to go out in a everybody's awful and murdering way, but I'm not sure what's going to happen. Right. There's a lot. There's There's a lot that needs to be done to bring it back from that. I think the hero will remain heroic in some way. I'm hoping so. I just speaking of him being a huge cinnamon roll too. One of my favorite things was when, when he's at the hospital and he's like in the office with the other doctors and they're like kind of off and he's dozing off on his desk, and he gets a text and it's from Dong An. He hasn't heard from her in a while and he like flies out of his seat and he's like, "Why is she texting me? What is this?" And it was like it was just so super sweet. Like he likes her so much mm-hmm. that he moved to Semyong and opened a practice. I mean, that, Which is I, that maybe a little been, creepy. That should have right. been the first clue that he is not all, uh, like, not all the lights are. And I was like, on. all in for it. I was like, yeah. this is so cute. Me too. I'm like, got so such romantic. a big crush. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely that is a don't do that in real life. But in the show, I was like, and the mom's like, that's your girlfriend. He's like, no, not yet. I'm working on it. Yeah. So it's just I was like, yeah, move in across. So we've got like, she's moved in next to her nemesis to, you know, stalk her. Okay, but I Sorry, love puppy. that. I love that that's where she lived and she could just look into their big ass windows. And they know yeah. now too. Yeah, so like great. Yeah, was, for, for yeah. the second whole second half of the drama, they know she lives there. I know. It's so great. Yeah. And I think what we're jumping ahead a bit, but that last, I was really interested with how they left it, which is him walking into the space because a, that space is almost it's like the the meme that goes around of like, you know, what's the show where the guy has like all the conspiracy stuff up? It's always sunny like, in Philadelphia. Know? Charlie in the mail. Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Yeah. It's always Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. That meme. Yeah. That's basically what her apartment looks there's like. There's a mat like, there's like a mattress on the floor and then that that's like all it is. And then all these pictures on the walls. It felt like almost too much, but then I was also like, is she like I don't know if she's this clever, but like she must have assumed that they were going to find out eventually and come. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty scary. Like I was like, I thought it was dumb the whole time until her nemesis walks in. And then you can just see she's 
fucking terrifying. Right. It's like an intimidation like, tactic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, actually, now I like it. I think it's all planned. But I, I also, too. so when, when the husband walks in too, like Dong Un was just with him. Mm-hmm. And she was start like she was telling him stuff. Mm-hmm. So did Dong Un send him? Like that's that's where they leave. That's the cliffhanger they leave you on. Is like, did Dong Un send him there? Did or did did Yun Jin like call him and he came there? Like why did he show up there? And what does that mean? Yeah. <sighs> okay. So any idea who killed Myung Oh? Is he actually? Dead. So Myung Oh is kind of like Jae Jun's lackey. Dong Un tried to get him to like come to her side. And then we see kind of these like weird clips of him like being beat up and we think he's dead. He's not answering his phone. He didn't leave the country. So what what do we think is going on? Because <laughs> this all leads into the to the greater plot. I know. I don't I don't know. Like I had to go back and rewatch and like, did I just miss? Like, did she send him to this? Like, I was confused mm-hmm. when he bought a ticket to Russia. Then we see him getting beaten bloody. Then Dong Un is recalling that when he wore a Band-Aid over his, over half his tattoo when he was a teen, it, you know, it, when it was uncovered, it read Memento Mori, which he said, which he said it was Latin and it, it's Latin for remember you must die. But when he had the Band-Aid on it when he was in high school, she's like, I liked it better with the Band-Aid because it changed the meaning of it to, um, me I mori, which means I die in Spanish, or I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right. But and then the sequence on screen while this is happening, while she's, you know, they flash back to a recent meeting that she had with him, you know, as adults, because she was getting him to be her lackey to, you know, kind of help him rise up or so he thought, right. And so she's telling him how she used to like it when he wore the Band-Aid and that this is why. And then the sequence on screen shows a young Dong Un sitting by herself in a classroom, putting one of her own bloody bandages over like the Latin inscription of the tattoo, like in her notebook, as we see Myung Oh getting the shit kicked out of him. So I honestly have no idea <laughs> what that means. Like, is she that many steps ahead that she kind of planned this out or is she just as confused as where he, like, I don't know. Cause she does not like, that's the thing about her portrayal of Dongan about Song Haikyo's portrayal is you can read nothing in her expression. Yeah. In a good way. Like, I don't think she's wooden. I think you can read nothing in her expression and she's keeping everything at bay. Yeah. And like, I have literally no, I have no idea. And like, cause like None. what's with the bandaid on Ji Yun's foot? Because they keep going to this like bandage. She has some sort of injury on her foot. And then it's the shoes. She's wearing these horrible shoes, isn't it? I think that because she's wearing the shoes that we see those shoes, like those green shoes, like walking away from like the body. I think there is like, well, I don't know. I thought that injury on her heels was because of whatever happened with Myung Oh. Because I remember she was cleaning the shoes too with hydrogen yeah, peroxide. She was cleaning the shoes and then Sarah painted that giant green heel like super angrily. That like now I've got like little women vibes. That, going I know here. that like massive canvas. She was like painting that like green heel. So like who I didn't even realize it was a green heel until you just said Oh, that. it pans away and it's this giant green heel. So like how does Sarah know about that? Like what uh, it, it is. It feels like Little Women with 
But then I also was like, she's painting the heel, but yet she's freaking out because she wants her drugs. Right. So right. that didn't make sense that she was hiding, mur- like, attacking him either. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, all of that doesn't make sense. Like, where is she getting these heels? Why are they, why are they focusing so much on these green heels? Like, what is going on? I will say, Jiyun, like, absolutely reeks of desperation now. And I do enjoy that very much. <laughs> Like, she is all, like, she's already had several sort of breakdowns, but she is very close to, like, an absolute breakdown. So, to wrap this up, uh, any predictions on what happens? Any theories? You know, where would you take the plot? Are you worried about Ji Yun's daughter or Jae Jun's dog who never stops barking? <laughs> I have no idea. I honestly don't. Like, I feel... I feel like the writing has been really well done so far that I don't know. I I don't know where this is going to go. I just, I really, I really do. I want her to get her revenge, but I don't want her to have to sacrifice her own morality to do it. Especially since like, we haven't even gotten, we haven't even talked about, you know, Yum Hyran in this as, you know, kind of like her partner in crime. Um, the woman who, you know, is getting beaten by her husband and Dong Un agrees to kill her husband if she agrees to help her get her revenge. And so she's, she plays Kong Hyun Nam, who is basically her spy and photographer and all that fun stuff. Um, and there's a friendship forming there, like for sure, right? There's a friendship forming there, even though Dong Un doesn't want to admit it. Um, Dong Un wants to save her daughter, um, this woman's daughter from, what's going on at home and from the possibility of her, you know, killing the father. And so she's, you know, she's embezzled money from the bullies so that she can send this woman's daughter to the United States to study abroad and, and better her life. So I, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's so much sort of, there's potential for good coming into her life, but she can't, she can't focus on that because this has been her life's work, right, to get her revenge. Um, so I, I really do hope that even if it does, like, all go down on a blaze of glory, that she does get, like, some taste of, like, actually being loved, even if it's, you know, a friendship or whatever. So I think this will go either way. So kind of a typical revenge plot where somehow Dong Un, like, saves her soul, like Itawan class, and her plastic surgeon boyfriend fixes her external scars – Or it can go full batshit and everyone just kind of like flames out in the end. Part of me wants Dong Un to go like full beast mode with Yo Jong. As much as I want the bullies to tear each other apart and have Dong Un keep her soul, I just, I don't see that happening. A lot would have to change in part two for me to, for me to believe that. For me to believe that. What I think will happen is we'll have like a third act, like false victory from the bullies. And in order to complete her final revenge, Dongun will have to make like some sort of moral decision. And there's going to be like, oh, what will she choose? Um, yeah, that's what I think is going to happen. We'll see. The only thing that I think I don't care about really is the fact that now she's meant to murder the husband like the abusing husband like that's her like i just kind of feel like that is a bit random to it me. is like it just doesn't <laughs> i don't fully understand nor am i super invested in that right, like how's that gonna play out it's weird and i don't know why we necessarily needed to have like the very horrific domestic abuse 
like I'm just not sure. Like I know it's bullying to like two wounded women banding together, but like I just am not a hundred percent sure we. I mean, maybe that's all it is. Is like, yeah, they had a shared thing. I mean, it gives it gives her a little bit of humanity to be able to. I don't know, but yeah, I don't love it. And I'm hoping it doesn't come to that. Like, I'm hoping that doesn't actually happen. But I think right now, Dong An is like, sure, I'll agree to whatever because I because I'm going down with the ship, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I think she thinks she's going down with the ship. I agree. Mm-hmm. So that it doesn't matter. But I'm 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 still hoping. It's Kim Woon Sook, and she writes happy endings. So. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. She does. So I don't know. And Leah, do you want to give you want to give a mention to an actor? Yeah, I want to give a shout out to who we've been talking about, who is Jung Song Il, who plays Hado Young, uh, Yunjin's architecture CEO husband. So he's actually also in Our Blues. Um, he's not a major character, but you know, he's an impactful character, but not, not lovable at all. (laughs) Um, but in this, I find him interesting because he's kind of like this old business alpha dude. And I don't think he seems like lovely. He's not like a heart of gold marshmallow by any stretch, but he doesn't seem like a garbage human being either. You know, like, because there was the scene where he gets out in the rain and he, um, his, like, he's got to hold the umbrella for a second for his help to, like, get the wine. (laughs) And he doesn't seem like he really wants to hold the umbrella. And I was like, oh, we're going to just see him just being kind of like this, like, nasty rich guy. But instead, he's kind of, like, more, like, befuddled that he's holding it. And then the guy gets the wine out and he's like, you can just have the wine. It's fine. And so, like, you're just, just, I don't know. He's not, like, a bad guy. And I also like that he's just kind of, like captivated by this like mysterious go player and then i was like look this isn't a romance this is not where this is going but i was like very i was more invested in their relationship and i think they have better chemistry they do like i feel like they just have very good chemistry and i'm into it and i and i just yeah now i'm curious what's gonna happen with him because i mean Ugh, I, I don't want really... him to lose his daughter. Like I know. he's a, I think... he's sweet with her. He's super sweet yeah, with he her. Not lose. You know that daughter is not ending up with. Yeah. That no. Psycho. No. No. I. I def. <laughs> Kim Won Sook. I would not do that. So no, I think the daughter and him will both prevail. I think they'll ride off sure. into the sunset together on a horse. I mean, he's. I think. I think he'll come away unscathed. So. Yeah, I mean, he married somebody who showed her best self, and he married for hotness. Yeah. <laughs> so he's 42, like, that by the way. Bad. I just looked him up. I know. He is born, he is four months younger than me. So we can, yeah. And he <laughs> plays a character in Bad and Crazy who has a really pivotal role, and I'm not going to say anything else about it until after you guys watch it. But I, I just I didn't recognize him at all. I just looked up what else he was in. It said Bad and Crazy. And I'm like, what? What was he in in Bad and Crazy? Um, he plays a completely different character, unrecognizable. Uh, and he's way hotter in The Glory. But clear, it's another guy who just can transform. So I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens in part two. Uh, we will be covering it. No worries. Because uh, I will absolutely... <laughs> be watching uh we all will 
but yeah, I guess. Oh yeah, and this is now I'm like just waiting for it to drop. Like, what the like, hell? Now we got to wait until March. I'm so annoyed. I know. <sighs> Netflix, don't know. do this. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad to have a break. To be honest. Yeah, it's a like lot. a little bit of a mental break. Like I'm kind of glad to be like, whew, I need something a little lighter for a second. It was a lot. I 100%. And that's why I watched it so fast because I was like, again, I was like, I want this to be over. Not because I disliked it, but because I felt like I felt like psychologically tortured. And I was like, I just want to get to the it resolution. And then, yes, the cliffhanger like broke me. Oh, my God. Broke me. So. All right. Well, uh, this was a long one, but we had a lot to talk about. We had a therapy session we for did. 45 minutes. We did. That was great. Thank you all for listening to that. Yeah. Thank you. Feel free to share anything you want to share. Be nice to each other. Don't bully anyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back, you know, in March. Well, no, probably not till April to talk about part two. Yeah. But I definitely, I do want to talk about part two. Oh, yeah. 100%. All right. Well, hang in there. Be kind. Stay away from curling irons. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A F T E R N O O N A D E L I G H T.com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K pop and K skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, Annyeong!